because I recorded an hour long one and I was editing it and I was like 20 minutes in and I'm like, this kind of sucks. I don't know. It sounded like a Ted talk or something and I got bored while I was listening to it. So I got to start over. It's never fun to scrap one, but it feels actually feels good. I just, I just hate like editing something and putting it out there that I feel is shit trying to like force it felt like. So uh, that one's not going to air. But the topic I was talking about, which was something I, I wanted to talk about, but I just didn't do a good job on it was, and I wrote about this at chrislist.substack.com that basically all this banking turmoil, all of this drama that's going on right now is, is the same thing. And it stems from one cause, which is that basically the ruling class, the governments and the corporations and the people that run them spent the money. They spent too much money that was not theirs to spend and that everybody's claim on the money in the system is overstated now because the banks don't have it. And if the Fed prints difference in case of a bank run, then of course you'll get your nominal money out, but it will be worth a lot less due to inflation. So they just, they can't deliver what's promised to the people and I wrote about this in the Substack that if you really look at money as what does it represent? It, re it represents your ability to conjure up goods and services, to conjure it. Basically, it's your power. It's the power to conjure things, right? If I have a couple thousand bucks in the bank and I want to order a laptop, I can put that on my credit card, which I'll be able to pay off and order from Amazon and the computer will be conjured up. It's, uh, it's my power, purchasing power, literally but it's power to move myself to a nice resort, to have a vacation. It's power to get some people to cook a meal for me, et cetera. You're, it's the amount of power you have in some sense. It's not the only form of power, but it's a, it's a form of stored power, stored energy, energy's power. And so, you know, sort of the collective amount of energy in the world, energy loosely including things like even commodities, resources, because, you know, the matter is energy there's a certain amount of energy in the world and everybody has a claim on that fair or unfair, but you know, we do have rules and we do have a system. And if you're going to abide by the system and trust the system, the amount of energy, the power you have a claim for is sitting there in your bank ledger. It's, you know, that's your ledger says how much money you have and that's your power to claim stuff. And, you know, you sort of have an idea of what $10,000 is or $50,000 and the things it can buy. But, it seems like if everybody went and tried to press their claim and say, okay, here's my claim on this energy. I want it now. They would not be good for it. And, you know, even Bernie, even Bernie Madoff, like if his first clients said, Hey, I want my money back. He would have given, he did give them their money back or he would give them their money back. It was just when people caught on that he didn't have the money. That's when the whole thing went bust and he stiffed everybody. But the first person, he would just pay them out because he wouldn't want the uh, scheme to fall apart. So we're sort of in the situation where, we don't want to be forced to spend all of our savings now just to put it into something. Although people are buying stocks and index funds and real estate because they don't trust that their money is going to be there, that inflation is going to devalue it too much. And that's been the case for 10 years. And the people who did that have gotten a lot richer and were able to do that and borrow money to do that and invest in assets. But, but in general, the core problem is that the claims that you were supposed to have as a citizen, even your rights, right? Like your rights to free speech. They want a disinformation bureau. Your rights to travel and to move around were taken away 
unilaterally by the government by declaring an emergency during COVID. Your power is being reduced and it's being reduced. That was strategic, but it's kind of in parallel. But your power, your purchasing power, your power to conjure things up, services, goods, experiences is being reduced because they spent it. They spent $6 trillion in Iraq. We have $32 trillion worth of debt. Now they spent that money from the future. They issued bonds and that's basically pushing those obligations in the future. They borrowed from the future. And then when those come due, when you ask, hey, I want this money, um, they're not going to be good for it. They can print their way out of it nominally. But again, you're going to get a lot less for your money if they do that. And I think this is sort of starting to become, if not common knowledge, but not and not just conceptual, like, oh, yeah, the, the fractional reserve banking, they don't have all the money. Yeah, everyone knows that. But the sense that like, I really might not get my money or these banks may collapse and they'll get the FDIC and we'll try to get that. Or they'll use these bank collapses and then centralize all my money into uh, a couple of banks or into a central bank digital currency. And then, you know, I, I won't be allowed to get all my money at once. They'll have a, you know, a hold on whether you can withdraw money. And it's interesting because, you know, when Twitter started or Facebook started, they didn't really govern what you could and could not say. They weren't really involved in policing you. But once their network effects got so big, and if you were media or your journalist or even had my job, you, know, you really had to be on Twitter to promote your stuff, interact with other people, and you couldn't leave, then, you know, then they started dictating who could say what, who could be deplatformed, and they, they got into that business. And I think, you know, as long as there's a lot of different choices of banks, you know, the, the big couple of banks, the biggest banks can't just have your money and say, well, you can't spend it on this or that. And and stop you from using your money as you see fit. But if they consolidate it down to a couple of banks or just a central bank digital currency, obviously it would be trivial for them to restrict you or surveil you. So they may end up doing that and that will also partially solve their problem, so they think, because they, if they can restrict your access to the energy... Oh, shit. Hey. Okay, I'm I'm doing I'm doing a podcast right now in the middle of it. So just because I didn't like my other one, but so just just get here when you can and, and you cook. Okay, all right. Okay, I'll see you in a bit. All right, bye. That was Heather. She's super late to come back for dinner, which I actually don't mind because I have to do this podcast. But she was feeling guilty because she's often late and she was she can't park the car, which is sometimes the neighborhood when there's something going on. It's hard to park on a. I don't even know why on Thursday night though, usually there's nothing. Anyway, but yeah, there's a mismatch between what you're promised and what's actually available. And they're pulling out all kinds of stops. Like if you don't reduce your consumption, you're going to kill the whole planet and everyone's going to die. So yeah, I know you have this claim on this amount of energy and amount of ability to travel and buy things and do what you want, but yeah, I'd rather you not use it. And if you use it, you're going to pretty much kill everybody. So yeah, that's one way to discourage people from pressing the claims that they have, that, they're, that they have the right to, that they've saved for, that they save for their kids. They, they don't want you to use that claim because they don't have it. I mean, I think it's simple as that. I'm not saying that I'm more against pollution than most people. I think the masks that are filling up the oceans, the plastics, is disgusting. And it's a huge problem. And I love animals, care about wildlife, and I think it's horrible and that we should not be polluting and we should you know, make people who pollute uh, pay the cost of cleaning it up and make them clean it up as condition for running your business. Externalities are real. Um, and I don't even doubt that human activity is 
having some effect on the climate. It, it probably is. You know, we're, we have a lot of industry that was never on the planet before. But the idea that somehow this is catastrophic, I don't see the evidence for. Perhaps I'm missing something, but I don't see imminent catastrophe. I don't see anything especially different from when I was growing up. You know, whether they say a hurricane is evidence of climate change, there were hurricanes when I was growing up. I don't, I don't see it with my own eyes. Maybe I'm missing something. Of course, so many of the predictions have been falsified. Greta Thunberg just had to delete a tweet saying the world would be flooded or over or something by 2023. She had to delete that because it's now 2023 and nothing's really that different. So to me, this is just a push for having people voluntarily renounce their claims that they know they can't pay. If, if enough people at least don't do it, that will buy them some more time and absolve them from all the skimming they've done off the top. There was, a, there was like this guru in Oregon in the, in the 1980s who convinced a bunch of wealthy, educated people to donate their life savings to him. And then he started driving like all these Rolls Royces. I think he had like a fleet. He loved Rolls Royces. I like Rolls Royces too. I'd never, I've been in one a couple of times, but I, I've never contemplated buying one, but Rolls Royces are nice. They're, uh, they're really nice cars, but he bought a lot of them and his, and his supporters had given all their money for it. And it's kind of similar, right? I mean, it's like, you're supposed to forego eating meat and traveling and doing all these things that consume carbon. Yet these guys who are telling you to do it are flying around in private jets and consuming more carbon in a, a year than you would ever consume in your entire life and see no problem with that whatsoever. They're like the guru driving the Rolls Royce after you gave all your money to get enlightened. And they think that they can say, oh, well, you know, maybe the guru said you'd be enlightened, spiritual enlightenment, some sort of reward. And your reward for being a good compliant person who doesn't use up carbon is, you know, you're, you're virtuous and you can signal to other people how virtuous you are. You can rail against the uh, heretics who don't care about this and don't believe in that particular religion. But but I think just the truth is, it's more simple. It's like they need you to stop consuming because they don't have the products that you want to consume. It's just not there for everybody. And you get into this problem of, okay, well, now I've got to like hurry up and spend my money. And you don't want to do that. You want to save money, right? It's, I'll go out to a restaurant now and then, but I, I don't want to spend my money on restaurants and I'll travel now and then, but I'm cheap about the travel. We try to use airline miles and I want to have savings, you know, I want to have money for Sasha and I want to have money for when I'm older. So I don't want to be forced to spend my money because it's going away. And so people invest their money, but now I'm investing in the S&P 500, which I don't really care about, or these random stocks that I don't feel like researching, don't want to have a side job as a professional stock investor. Some people are into it. That's great if you want to, but a person doing other things shouldn't have to take on a second job doing that. And stocks obviously are vulnerable if there's a bank run and People who lose some of their bank account are going to need to sell stocks to uh, pay the bills and real estate. And so these things are risky. Real estate obviously has property taxes and maintenance and obviously property tax, it's set at a certain level, but if they raise it, you know, now you're paying rent on your own property. So you're investing in, and also if they raise rates, the property value goes down. There's a lot of risk with, with property investment and gold. It's you can store a million dollars worth of gold in your house. You want $50,000 worth of gold in your closet. I don't know a lot of people who really want to do that. And if you store your gold with a third party, now you've got counterparty risk. If gold ends up going way up, maybe he absconds with it. And you can go through each asset class. And if these banks are, are dangerous, they have your money, they, they could collapse. Where do you put this money? And also it's inflating, right? You buy bonds. Well, 
great. You're getting 5%. If there's 20% inflation, not the CPI bullshit, but the real inflation that includes housing and education and healthcare, you know, then you're minus 15%. And, and if it goes up more because they decide to print money and make people whole who had more than 250K in their bank accounts, or even just the 250K, just ensuring that, then inflation is going to go even higher. And it's going to be really bad to be locked into a long-term 5% bond. And good luck selling the bond when you know, interest rates are even higher than that and inflation is soaring. You're not going to be able to sell a long-term bond, even a three-month bond. If there's hyperinflation, that's a terrible place to be. So there's not a lot of safe havens to just, I just want to store this money. I don't, I don't, you know, I'd like to make money, but primarily I just want to keep what I've earned and save it for when I need it. And I think there's a huge demand for this. And I think it's why Bitcoin went from like 20,000 to 28,000 in, in the last couple of weeks, because people are like, shit, where do I put this money? Well, here's at least a place where no one can steal it or it's extremely hard to steal. No one can print more of it. Nobody could debase it. Nobody can just raise the property tax on it. It's, it's one of these things where, okay, this seems relatively secure and safe. Now there's other risks. You could lose your private key or you could foolishly uh, you know, put your key online and have it stolen. But I think there's a big demand for this. And now you see like they're sort of, I've, I've read some reports where they're cutting off some of the on and off ramps. And you know they're like, okay, if we don't let people sell their Bitcoin or don't let people buy the Bitcoin, well, then that'll be, a, you know, we'll cut that off so you can't get out of the system with some of your savings. But I've also read some people say, never stop, never stop your enemy when he's making a mistake. And basically, if they did that, where Bitcoin was not, you couldn't really sell it or buy it easily, people would start to trade goods and services for it. And if you trade goods and services directly for it, well, now you've got the circular Bitcoin economy and you're going to have the price soaring. You're, you know, you're not even going to need uh, the fiat currency. I mean, I think part of the reason the fiat currency hasn't been abandoned entirely is it's still the medium of exchange. It's still the thing that you pay your bills with. It's still the thing that you buy goods and services with. But if they sort of force people to get used to taking Bitcoin and buying things with Bitcoin, then there's going to be another medium of exchange. You know, I think like right now, Bitcoin is just a store of value. But if they force it into being a medium of exchange, then, then what's the point of the fiat currencies? At least now they have that value. So anyway, we'll see what happens. But that was just sort of a, a thesis I had is that basically all of these problems, the, the global warming problem, the, you know, they're trying to divide people by race, by gender, by ideology, all of this stuff to me is just like we stole the shit and we can't pay it back. So now we're talking shit. It's like if you confronted some employee who embezzled and he was like, I didn't embezzle, you're racist, you're sexist, you're a horrible manager. Confront an employee and he lashes out, that's a sign of, it's probably guilt. <laughs> you, you're just saying, hey, the, the thing you're in charge of, the money you were in charge of, it's gone, where'd it go? And they start lashing out at you. That, that's what I feel is happening. They're just trying to distract and say, hey, you're using too much carbon. You're, you're this, you're that. But I think the problem is that it's the goods and services that your purchasing power in the bank, those bits in the bank represents, your access to them, that it represents your power is not commensurate. It's not what you think it is. And you know, when we had a gold standard, you could pretty much back it up because there was only a finite amount of gold and it was scarce. And if your dollar was titled you to a certain amount of gold, then it was kind of like, okay, this is the amount of money that's connected. This, this gold, which is represented by these dollars, entitled you to this many goods. And so we're good. You know, we have this sort of concrete relationship between the perception of what you own and what you actually own, the perception of how much power you have and how much power you actually have. And 
once they severed that, people were just sort of like, let's just assume that we have the power that the bank ledger says that we have. And that worked for a while because A, people believed it and B, they didn't do anything as crazy until 2008 when they printed the first big chunk and then obviously COVID. And then now if, you know, if there's a bank run and they have to print, it's going to be off the scale. And then you're going to get to the point like Wiley Coyote where he's off the cliff and you can go off the cliff for a little bit, but as soon as he realizes he's a little far off the cliff and he looks down, that's the end of the confidence in the system. And, and you realize, oh, we're just pretending that what's in the account actually matches up with real purchasing power. This is just made up. Just like I could make a spreadsheet on my computer right now and just like write the words bank account and then put a number in there and add zeros as I, as I please, but it doesn't correspond to anything in reality. And it's like we were pretending it corresponded, but it didn't really correspond. And then once that dawns on people, you know, whether it's because of a collapse and or whether it's because of hyperinflation, it doesn't really matter which way it goes. The best analogy I've heard is um, imagine there's, you're, you're driving in your car on a wet road and you start the hydroplane and you're starting to go off the road to the right. You're starting to slide in toward a tree and you jerk the wheel to the left and then you start to slide off a cliff to the left. And imagine the right is, you know, de crushing deflation and to the left is hyperinflation. And there's a huge debate on, you know, FinTwit, financial Twitter, where I don't know if you can hear Oscar, he's going crazy because Heather's feeding him. But um, there's a huge debate on FinTwit where it's, where it's like, are we having a deflationary collapse? Or are we having a hyperinflation? Or is the deflationary collapse going to spur the printing, which then causes the hyperinflation? And in some ways, I don't think it matters that much that the problem is that once people realize either way that what's represented in your account is not tethered to gold, and we know it's not tethered to gold, but it's just really not tethered to anything. And we're basically hydroplaning, then our reaction can send us off the left side or the right side. It's not important. The important thing is that we're not tethered and that people know that we're not tethered. So, uh-oh, we're not tethered. This thing in your bank is just an arbitrary thing. All this life savings, all this work you've done to put this here, that's, that's a crisis regardless. And you're going to want to have something that's actually tethered, which I think is going to be good for Bitcoin in either case. To make the bits in your bank account commensurate with the goods and services they could actually buy is like having your car have the tire tread gripping the asphalt. And now you're not in danger of going into the tree or off the cliff. But as soon as that layer of water gets in there and you're severed from that nice snug fit that grounds you in a market-based reality, and it's just arbitrary based on you know who's printing money and arbitrarily changing rates, that's when either thing could happen but the, the main thing is that you're no longer tethered to the road. That's the danger. And I think people are waking up to that and there's going to be some consequences to that. And I don't, I don't know exactly what it is. I think it's good for Bitcoin. I don't want, I'm not one of those people who, you know, really wants this to come at a huge cost and it, and it will because some people have been lucky enough to be exposed to good information. I guess people need to be open-minded too and listen to things. And again, I, I could be wrong about everything. So do your own research, but but it's also unfair just because some normie, I guess life's not that fair, but because some normie didn't have the right context, didn't get exposed to things, wasn't on Twitter, just living his life and just didn't realize the risk that he was running, that, that, that his car was hydroplaning because the, because the traction that was you know, there when you had money tied to a hard standard, cash tied to a gold standard or a firm standard is not there. That he doesn't realize that it's backed on nothing. So Anyway, that was one piece I was working on. A couple quick things for, it's going to be short, as I said, because I already went through this and this one, yeah, we'll see how it goes. But I went to the butcher 
this French butcher near Sasha's school the other day. And I was getting my entrecote. It's uh, 45 euros a kilo. And that's actually a good price because remember, kilo is 2.2 pounds. So it's like 22, 23 bucks a pound. And I saw him like you know, cutting the fat off and it was like big, huge chunks of fat. And I was like, what are you doing with that fat? You're not throwing it out, are you? He's like, no, no, no. I have a client that comes in and asks me to make burgers for him. And I was like, can you make burgers for me? He was like, absolutely. So I've been buying these burgers. They were amazing. It's, you know, it's like when you go to a fancy restaurant, and they have a burger on the menu. They're not giving you like ground chuck. It's like chopped steak, chopped grass-fed undercoat. And so fatty, so delicious. I mean, the fat cooks off, but just gives it great flavor. But I didn't even ask him the price. Next time I was there, I asked 14 euros a kilo. So they're like six bucks a pound for this like chopped grass-fed steak. So talk to your butcher, ask him questions. It's, it's good. It's a good thing. I think that's pretty much it. I don't know if I mentioned last week that you know, Sasha's been boxing and she's been doing it like for a couple of years now, going to this boxing gym and has a trainer. She's 11. And she asked the guy, I don't know, she just had the idea, can I get a fight? And he's like, yeah, I think you can get a fight. You're going to have to train a little harder, but we can, we can arrange a fight for you. So after boxing class, Heather picks her up and, and she asks Heather and Heather's like, uh, I don't know, ask, ask your dad. So she asked me and I thought about it and I'm like, you know, I don't want her to, get her, you know, face messed up or anything, but you know, it's going to be an 11 year old girl. She wants to do it. I, I want her to be able to defend herself later in life. And you know, these, these gyms, these boxing gyms, they're, they're fine, but you're not really going to know how to defend yourself unless you get into a couple fights. So I said, yeah, go for it. You can do it. So I'm a little nervous as her dad, but it's kind of exciting at the same time. And I'm sort of torn. I was like, don't like hurt some poor Portuguese girl, but same time, you know, you're in a boxing match. You're going to have to really try your hardest. I think they'll have headgear and it won't be that won't be a real risk of anyone getting injured, but just thought it was kind of cool that she's doing that. All right. That's it. I think it's going to do it short one this week. I was going to talk about last time I was kind of ranting about the, the craziness of how hard it is for people to accept facts that people can't deal with facts that contradict what they believed. And this is a huge epidemic. And this uh, KGB guy, I'll just, you just go to my Twitter, this video of this uh, KGB guy in 1986, basically saying that, that once a person's demoralized, they really can't, facts have no meaning for them. You could bring him to, you could show him documentary evidence. You could bring him to the KGB, the concentration camps in Russia. And he still won't believe it's happening until uh, he gets a boot in his ass and a kick in the balls, basically. And then he'll know. And I feel like a lot of people got demoralized by COVID and by the whole hype around Trump, the whole hysteria around it just demoralized people. And it doesn't really matter. Like even, I guess I'm doing the segment because I, <laughs> I, I, I just, I'm talking about it, but I'll put the clip maybe in here. I'll even put a bit of a clip of the guy's a recording of the guy in this podcast, but he was a, a Russian defector in 1986 from the KGB. And I feel like there's a lot of demoralized people because watching some Glenn Greenwald thing. And he's saying that like the Hunter Biden laptop, like he just keeps repeating that that's the craziest thing that they won't retract that that was Russian disinformation. And it's just driving him crazy. And people are like, he's a broken record, but it's like, how can they not just admit like that was wrong? We need to retract that. That was totally legitimate. It's a legitimate story by the New York post that got censored. Why can't you just say that? Why can't you admit it? And two things, one is their audience of these media outlets doesn't want to know, like they're, they're demoralized too. But it's what this guy's saying. People are just 
facts do not mean anything to them anymore. And it's kind of scary. It's just a scary time where you could be talking to somebody and they just glaze over when they have a fact that contradicts what they believe. And that is, it's a scary state of affairs for everybody because that's kind of madness, but also for them, because it might be someone in your family or it might be someone you care about. And like, they're going to have a, if you're outside of reality, because your beliefs won't allow you to see it, there's going to be bad consequences. You're going to take the wrong medicines. You're going to believe things that can be harmful for you. And there's no way out for you. You're just going to keep doing it because facts until you get the kick in the ass or the kick in the balls that the guy was talking about. And you know, those kicks can be pretty damaging when they come. So hopefully, I don't know when this fever is going to break. I, people are demoralized. And you know, and when I said this mismatch, when this, when this shoe drops and people get aware of the mismatch between what they've been promised and what they actually can access, that's going to be a whole other kick in the balls and who knows what's going to happen. Anyway, on that note, that's going to do it till next time.